Pastor Chris's podcast. A long time ago, in a land far away, two years passed with Joseph rotting in Pharaoh's dungeon. Pharaoh had a strange and disturbing dream. No one could tell its meaning. Then, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer remembered Joseph, the young man he met in prison with the God-inspired power to interpret dreams. Pharaoh summoned Joseph from the dungeon and told him the dream. Joseph explained the meaning. Egypt would have seven years of great bounty, followed by seven years of severe famine. God, through Joseph, shared a plan to save everyone from the famine. Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of the nation's famine relief program. Joseph stored up Egypt's extra food during the seven good years, so they had enough to survive the seven bad years. God's provision through Joseph rescued Egypt. It also saved the people from surrounding Middle Eastern lands throughout the region who came to buy food from Egypt during the famine. Among those to come were Joseph's own Hebrew brothers who once sold him into slavery. Amazingly, Joseph forgave his treacherous brothers because Joseph's God is a God of grace and forgiveness. Joseph's father Jacob and his brothers and their families moved to Egypt. In Joseph's day, his Hebrew people were welcomed by Pharaoh and highly regarded by the empire. They survived the great seven years famine and multiplied and flourished and filled the land. But soon Joseph and Pharaoh grew old and their lives came to an end. A new pharaoh came to power. The political landscape changed. The Egyptian respect and gratitude for Joseph and his God were overshadowed by Egypt's own nationalistic dreams of glory. And then things fall apart. Exodus chapter 1, 8 through 22. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed a brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them out with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. 
they allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. So God gave good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may live. You may let the girls live. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, we've been learning about how things fall apart. And uh, I experienced that firsthand this week. I plan to be in church with you for on-site worship today, but I was exposed to someone with COVID-19. And so my test results uh, have come back, and they are negative, and I don't have any symptoms. So I really, uh, I'm very confident I, I don't have any sickness or anything like that. However, out of an abundance of caution, and on the advice of my doctor, I am in quarantine until Thursday evening. So that is why I pre-recorded this message for you. Uh, we make our plans, and then often, as we know, things fall apart. So hopefully this video will play, and that won't fall apart. I hope so. Well, one of the ways that things fall apart is as newer generations forget the important values held by generations before them. Progress is good. Newer generations have a lot to offer in the way of new ideas, new energy, helpful innovations. And we must all humbly admit that our generation is not perfect. Sometimes newer generations improve upon things that we started or they correct mistakes that we have made. Some examples are the way that the founding fathers of America fought for individual liberty. They improved upon their ancestors. The generations that went before them had submitted to a monarch. And we, we find that that was not the best system of government. And so those founding fathers, though they are our ancestors and we respect them greatly, they in some sense, rejected um, the values of their ancestors in order to start something new and better in democracy with America. Unfortunately, newer generations can also get it wrong when they reject the godly values of those who have gone before them. And we've certainly seen this in the eroding moral values of the 21st century in America. This problem of eroding values through the generation is nothing new. It has always been a problem. Egypt is one of the oldest and longest lived empires in the world. To put it in perspective, 
America is relatively young. We, we've only been in existence for 244 years. Egypt unified into a world power in 3100 BC and was one of the most powerful empires in the world for over 2,700 years. You can see on the chart, that's over 10 times as long as the United States. During those 2,700 years, many dynasties rose and fell as part uh, uh, fell apart in Egypt as the attitudes and the politics and the behaviors of the many generations changed. So secular historians teach that around 1650 BC, a line of foreign rulers known in Egyptian as Hyksos, um, known as Hyksos, dominated northern Egypt. This would have been around the time that the Bible claims Joseph, his Hebrew brothers, and their descendants sojourned in Egypt. Could the Hyksos have been the Hebrews that the Bible teaches about? Secular historians claim the Egyptians launched a war against the Hyksos and subdued them. This seems to support the biblical narrative in Exodus 1, that the Egyptian pharaoh forgets what the God of the Hebrews have done for Egypt and subjects them to oppression, slavery, and even genocide. The new generations of Egyptians after Joseph clearly did not have the same values as the older generations. They forgot how God, through Joseph's people, saved Egypt from starvation. The new generation of Egyptians were worried there were just too many of those disgusting foreigners, those Hebrews, and they, were, they had too much power, and the Egyptians just wanted to get rid of them and wanted to make Egypt great again. So they forgot all about Joseph and what he had done for them, and they forgot about Joseph's God, and they delved back into their traditional Egyptian cult religion that was unholy and rejected the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the God of the Bible. And we see where that kind of thinking leads. The moral decay of Egyptian society from godly gratitude to ingratitude and from there to arrogance and oppression, enslavement, and ultimately to drowning newborn Hebrew babies in the Nile River. Um, it's just disgusting. Well, it's a problem with which all societies have struggled throughout the ages. Egypt, Greece, Persia, Rome, even as early as, as, as civilizations like Great Britain, have all struggled with this and have all declined as their core values and morals eroded through successive generations. One generation is very strong in their core values, um, but then the next generation is a little bit less, and over time it erodes until um, the, you know, the generations, the future generations just do not reflect in any way the boldness and the nobility 
of the former generations that were so great. Well, how do you ensure that the next generation will uphold the same essential values that you hold dear? The older generation cannot hang on to power forever. In the beginning, you can make your kids do the right things, and but then soon they will grow up, and though uh, you, you could control them when they were younger, you can't control them forever. And you will have to eventually let go, and it can be hard to let go. Harder still is letting go when you feel like your most important values are being forgotten and trampled upon. Imagine how Jesus felt. After an amazing three years of ministry on earth, he was crucified. And of course we know that he miraculously rose from the grave. But then Jesus ascended into heaven, leaving his great salvation mission in the hands of his very human, very fallible disciples. And he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to follow all my commands. We talk about, uh, we talk a lot about in the church about how we need to have faith in Jesus. But have you ever stopped to think about how Jesus has incredible faith in you and me to do the right thing for His kingdom? He, he, paid an, he paid the ultimate price. He gave his life for this mission. And, and in the end, he had to hand that off to future generations. Such a, an idea ought to give you, uh, uh, such an idea ought to get you moving and working to do everything that you can to build Christ's kingdom on earth. Well, today I want to share some thoughts from Scripture about equipping and trusting the next generation to carry on your core values, hopefully God's kingdom values, which you hold as core values as well. But I want to give you some thoughts from Scripture about how to equip and trust the next generation to carry on those core values and continue the work of God's salvation plan, even if it seems like things just might fall apart. So the first thing is respect your parents. Respect your parents. The first word from Scripture that I want to share today comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, which says, Honor your father and mother, then you will live long and a full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This is a command from God to you and me. And how you obey or disobey this command will be be a tremendous influence on the next generation and how they will honor you. Your kids learn how to treat you by watching how you treat your own parents and elders. So if you want the the generations that follow you to honor your values, then you should honor the values of the generations that came before you. 
Next, lead your family to serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15 says, Choose today whom you will serve. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. You must firmly ground your own household on the core value of serving God through Jesus Christ. It's not enough to say or to claim the label Christian. It's not enough to, to say you know that you serve him, and it's not enough to simply claim the label of a Christian. You have to actively devote your life to serving the Lord. Your kids, the next generation, will not continue this value unless they have seen you actively living it out. So choose this day whom you will serve. And teach your children the scripture. Deuteronomy eleven nineteen says, Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. And Proverbs 22, 6 says, Direct your children onto the right path and when they're older, they will not leave it. I think the, the word of God is, is pretty clear in those places, and it really doesn't need any explanation for me. Does it do that? And don't aggravate your kids. Six four says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. You know, there's ways that parents can nag and pester be over-controlling or too demanding, too discouraging. And, and these are things that can actually drive your kids to reject their parents' values. Ironically, in an overzealous effort to force their kids toward God's truth, parents sometimes force them away. So don't do that. Pray for wisdom and patience and grace and inspiration and, and, and the help of the Holy Spirit to love your kids and to parent them well. Trust that God, trust God to work it out. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So you have to trust that God is working alongside you as you train your children, as you minister to the next generation. God is actually doing the bulk of the work. If you think that it's all about you, and if it's all on you, then you're going to drive yourself crazy. I mean, that's a tremendous amount of pressure. And if you feel like that it's all up to you, then you're going to drive yourself crazy. And here's the thing. Crazy parent, crazy people just aren't very good parents. you got to have your wits about you. You've got to be calm. You have to have a, a peace in your soul um, in order to parent well. And so 
You have to stay calm. You have to trust God. You have to do your part. But you have to also know that God is doing his part. And his part is far more important than your part. So take a little bit of pressure off yourself so that you can really do your job well, trusting that God's doing his as well. And and remember that God has a plan that you can't see. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and hope. People like to quote this verse from Jeremiah because it, it sounds so nice. It's so inspirational. But most people don't realize the context in which Jeremiah prophesied those words. You see, he wrote those words in a letter to a group of God's people who had already been sent into exile in Babylon as punishment for their nation's rejection of sin. They had been ripped out of their homeland, everything that they knew and loved. Their entire way of life had been destroyed. People that they knew and had loved had been executed, men, women, and even children. Or they had died of starvation or exposure or deprivation. Their plans had completely and utterly fallen apart. Can you imagine what that was like? And Jeremiah writes these words to them. And God is basically saying, I know how bad it is for you right now. But I have some good plans for you. It's going to take a couple of generations to work it all out. And the future is going to look a lot different then from what you're used to now. But it's my plan, and it's a good plan. So trust me and be faithful. Can you trust God like that? You've got to. Because you are not in charge. You have about 13 years to be the most important influence in your child's life. From that point on, your influence starts to quickly wane and they start making up their own mind. And they're going to be more influenced by their friends and their others than by their parents. You will always be important to the younger generation. And it's not just your kids, it's it's other younger generation people that you have influence on. And, and, and you need to take that opportunity um, to reach out to younger people who are not your children. Maybe it's your grandchildren. Maybe it's someone who's not related to you at all. You may feel like you're too old, but you might not realize that younger people, especially those that are not your children, they look up to you and they listen to you and you can have a great impact on their lives. But ultimately, you will have to let go more and more and more. We're not going to live forever. And we're going to have to trust God. And we're going to have to trust the future generations with the plans that 
we started. And so we got to pray. We got to pray for those future generations and ask God to really help them. The great evangelist Billy Graham wrote these words about praying for younger generations. He said, No one except God knows the future, of course, but almost certainly it will be different from today. That means those who follow us will have their own challenges and temptations, including some that we can't even imagine. No, it isn't silly to pray for those who will follow us, even those who haven't yet been born. Repeatedly over the years, I've met people, men and women, who had a godly grandmother or saintly great-grandfather who they never met, but who prayed for them and for others who haven't who weren't yet even born. These men and women were convinced that their own commitment to Christ was a result of those prayers, and I can't help but to agree. This may have been what the psalmist meant when he prayed, I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. Psalm 45, 17. I think Billy Graham really knew what he was talking about when he talked about praying for the future generations. And so that's what I want to do for us today. I'd like for us to all bow our heads together and let's unite our hearts in prayer as we pray for the coming generations, which includes our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids, and people that perhaps we have not even yet met because they have not yet even been born. But we can trust that God will hear our prayers and will guide them. Will you pray with me? God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of Joseph and Moses, God of the New Testament apostles and our grandparents and parents, we humble ourselves before you, and knowing that we are most certainly not in control. And so we pray for future generations, trusting that you will work out your perfect plans for them and through them. We pray that they will delight in the Word of God like King David. Help our children to love the Word of God, to read it, to memorize it, to meditate on it, and to soak it in. We pray that they will be born again. We pray that you will guide them to accept by their own choice Christ as Lord so that they can live the new holy life you want them to live. And they can also have the experience of eternal life that you promise to those who trust in Christ. We pray that they will be shaped and influenced by your word. May their hopes and their dreams, opinions, Decisions and actions be founded upon your word to them in the Holy Bible. We pray that they will be effective and fruitful in ministry to others, just as Christ came to serve in compassion. Let future generations be filled with Christ's love for others and so dedicate their lives to loving you and loving their neighbors. We pray, O Lord, that the knowledge of the Lord will spread 
to generations that we will never know. We pray for generations that will that we will never know, hoping that those who outlive us will diligently teach their children your holy truths. And finally, eternal God, we pray that the generations who come after us will never fall away from the faith. We pray through the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. I pray that you hear what the Lord has said to you today and you put it into practice. God bless.